0: One, one thing I was recorded saying that, I, that I've kept, and it's, it's been my header for years on my page, is that I'm not ha- I won't be happy until gaming spaces reflect the beautiful diversity of our nation. Uh, when I can look out from that administrator seat and see a group of people that look like a, a wide swath of America. Um, right. At that point, that's that's when I'm going to be happy, and we're not there yet. No.
1: Welcome to Dungeons & Dinners, where the love of fantasy is food for thought. I'm your host, Brett Lindley, and that was a sample from my recent conversation with Connor the Healer DM. Connor is a mental health and diversity advocate who's volunteered as an administrator for many Adventurers League events— And in our conversation, we talk about working the floor at these events, his more than 20 published and written works for D&D, interviewing your therapist, working with local charities, and so much more. If you've been on the fence before, I've added a ton of new content to my Patreon reward tiers. Discord integration is now live for all tiers, and at the $5 level and above, you'll get access to exclusive bonus minisodes every week of additional conversations with guests like Connor. That's four additional episodes a month for just $5. So if you enjoy our conversation today, head on over to patreon.com dungeonsanddinners and help keep this podcast ad-free. Let's get on to the conversation. Welcome. Take a seat anywhere. We'll be right with you. And as I said in the intro, we have Connor at the Healer DM joining us at the Dungeons and Dinners table. Connor, thank you so much for coming on the show.
0: Uh, thanks, Brett. I'm happy to uh, come on and share some coffee with you and your listeners.
1: No, that's awesome. I'm super excited. I uh, I've already jazzed through most of my coffee today, so I'm I'm switching over to water, but I will sip with you for sure. <laughs> So for the uninitiated, those that maybe aren't following you or haven't heard of you before, um, who is the Healer DM and what do you do?
0: Awesome. Okay. So uh, first of all, I want to thank everybody for listening today. Um, and I I hope to continue this conversation with you, not only in this format, but online. Uh, my name is Connor. My preferred pronouns are he, him, and his. Um, I am a mental health therapist. I work in the public schools. Uh, largely with children and their families. Um, the, that is my day job. I enjoy it quite a bit. It's where my Twitter handle comes from. Uh, but I also do a lot of creative and freelance work uh, in the TTRPG hobby. Um, so it looks a lot of different ways. I've uh, written over 20 works for Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, or worked in some creative capacity with them. Um, I have done uh, a lot of volunteer work with Dungeons & Dragons Adventurers League, which is the organized play wing of the Dungeons & Dragons line. I uh, do a lot of public work at conventions, uh, providing administrative duties, helping people uh, when they experience a problem, uh, helping them get those solved. Um, I do uh, a lot of podcasts talking about mental health, and gaming, uh, two areas that, uh, that I'm an expert on, but also have a passion for. Um, I also speak a lot about diversity in gaming um, and, uh, and uh, tend to, uh, uh, to, to lend my voice to causes that uh, promote acceptance in our community uh, for marginalized voices. Um, I am the uh, founder and president of D8 Summit Charities. Which is a 501c gamer facing charity that helps events raise money for quality local causes um i do a ton of stuff um uh, but uh, i'm also a dog dad and uh, i'm pretty active in my community um and uh and i love meeting new people so i'm 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 really hopeful that i uh, get to speak with many of your listeners uh not just from this point but this point forward to hook, uh, meet, look me up on Twitter and, and let's have a conversation. Let's talk.
1: No, that's awesome. So uh, a super wide variety of projects, and I can seriously respect that. Uh, I am also a huge advocate for mental health in general, but mental health and gaming, both in uh, like physical and in-person games, as well as in video games. I think there's a lot of growth that's going on in there as well that I'm, I'm super proud and appreciative that that conversation is more open and more accessible. I know when I was growing up, it was pretty taboo. There weren't really any colloquial words for mental health that didn't mean bad things. Um, So it was really difficult to kind of to feel welcome in those spaces. And now there's still some, but I think there's been a tremendous amount of growth in mental health and self-care and the conversations that revolve around that in society in general. So I appreciate all the work that you do in that.
0: And I appreciate you speaking out about it uh, because because the, the awareness piece, the, the 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 growth that we've seen as a society in, um, in creating, oh, I'm trying to think, an atmosphere where people are willing to seek help when things aren't okay. Um, yes, that that comes because of people, not necessarily just clinicians, but everybody saying, "Hey, you know, sometimes we're not okay, and you know, we we seek help for it, and it does get better." People Mm -hmm. need to hear that so so they don't feel like there's that stigma there attached.
1: Right. Yeah, I constantly talk about uh, uh, both. I've spoken of it on the show and in my personal life all the time about just the amount of change that like I was able to change some things on my own and recognize some things. I'm a pretty introspective person to begin with. But taking on a therapist has changed so much about my life for the better and helped me in so many ways that I did not think just certainly didn't think I would get done in like a year, year and a half. I I thought that maybe if I got to them, it'd be like 10 years. Um, and some that I don't think I ever would have done without having somebody on the outside just to give a fresh perspective.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and relationships themselves have, have a magnificent healing power. And a, a lot of times, you know, you know, we, we've got, uh, you know uh uh, pardon me international listeners but we have in the united states the rugged individualism where you just have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, suck it up and go on with it by yourself and you'll figure it out um and and that's like you know it's 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 just baked into our into our cultural cake um but that isn't how a lot of healing happens and uh and and Every bit of evidence we have shows that having a relationship with somebody that you're able to talk with, um, such as a therapist, that, that 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 is actually the strongest predictor of how good your outcome is. So, no, um, by all means, you, you know, if, if you are listening today and you're having a tough time, uh, I'm looking at Brett nodding his head. We both encourage you seek. Seek the help yeah. of a professional and talk to them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, you know. I uh, I'm a big fan. I, I say that I say that therapists are like underwear when they start to smell. Change them. Don't be afraid to to, yes. to switch your therapist to to somebody you're very comfortable with. But build that relationship and it will help. It will help. I promise.
1: Yeah. Interview your therapist because y- mm-hmm. you like like you interview them as if you're the CEO because you are. You're the CEO of you incorporated. So if you're going to hire somebody who is going to come in and you're going to pay them to help get you incorporated running at a high level, then you need to interview them your first session or two. You need to know that the things that, you know, I went through a few therapists, I had some really bad experiences and I I didn't think I was ever going to get anything good out of it. And when I took that mindset of taking ownership of myself, I wrote interview questions. I wrote down things that I'd make sure that I would do. Uh, I know I keep the podcast pretty clean, but in my general conversational life, especially about tough topics, I swear. So I made sure to write down, swear in front of the therapist and then gauge their reaction. I wanted to see, are they going to laugh? Are they going to swear back? Or are they going to give me a judgmental look? Or, you know, I wrote down questions about what's your comfort level with these types of heavy topics? What is your research modern research on these types of topics because there's a lot of you know mental health conditions that have old research that most people learn kind of in college and if they aren't reading medical journals and they aren't up to date on it the amount of changes that have happened in the mental health community in especially in certain areas can be so vast that if all of their knowledge is 10 or 15 years old then that doesn't jive with me that's not what's going to help me incorporated become a, a smoothly well-oiled machine,
0: yeah, yep. Yeah. um and and a, a great way to ask that question is tell me about the last uh, continuing the education conference you went to um and see and see and gauge how often they continue to learn about about the changes in the field because it's rapidly changing um as a discipline, particularly as we learn more about how the brain works and um, I, I will apologize in advance if you hear me geek out about anything neuroscience for the rest I will absolutely do it but um, but that but we're learning so much that you want a therapist that's staying current by you know a, a, having a lot of experience under your belt is a powerful thing so is continuing to learn about what new developments are in the field. Um, ultimately, ultimately it's going to be that relationship. That's going to be the most therapeutic. Um, and so definitely guard that, but yes, absolutely. I would, I would highly encourage you to seek out people only seek therapists that are actively continuing their education.
1: Exactly. 100%. So, um, that's, uh, I, I, I do want to get back to this topic. I too could discuss this forever, but I think, I think it, it would not be remiss to uh to to bring in at least one of our 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 shared another of our shared loves which is um you mentioned you've done uh some over 20 plus works written for Dungeons and Dragons um and that you do volunteering for the Adventurers League. So I think I'd like to start briefly there. Um I I know a lot of homebrew DMs. I know a lot of people who you know kind of fly by the seat of their pants but the adventurers league is the official league it is kind of the sanctioned kind of way to play where everybody agrees that we're playing kind of rules as written um so what what are some of your experiences in being in the adventurers league and how do you feel that that uh compares to maybe your personal games or does it
0: Okay. All right. So my experiences with Adventures League, when I started hopping into 5th edition, I, um, I started with the playtest. And so um, I was one of the many people that playtested the game and sent feedback and and uh, ended that with my group. But when we were like, okay, this, this game is no longer in playtest anymore. They're not sending us these adventures to play anymore. Um, we need to figure out how we're going to do this. And, and at that point, we were meeting in a diner in rural Illinois. Um, and there were about 12 or 14 of us. And we were we were trying to figure out how are we going to make this work? Right? Like, um, uh, we were all uh, our entire group was was adult, uh, very different places in our lives. We learned about what Adventurers League was. Um, and at that time, you had to get a store to sponsor you. So we had to find a store to sponsor us, which we did. It's not true anymore. Um, but uh, then we were able to get a hold of these adventures that were episodic in nature, and so and so one of the one of the big strengths of Adventurers League is that you have these overarching storylines uh, that are episodic in nature, meaning that you can if you can make every week great, if you miss a week or two, that's okay. You know, you're not going to miss the overall story. And as a matter of fact, you know, you can come back that next game and say, I missed the last week. What happened in the last game? And somebody can say, oh, this is what happened in the story the last week. And so it worked really well for us as grownups because we have things going on, right? Um, uh, you know, we work, we have family obligations and, and community obligations and, you know, for some of us, religious obligations. And so, you know, not every week worked for all of us but we were able to make enough weeks that that worked very well um that uh that that group uh, eventually grew uh into the charity work that i do today and um over time but the 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 beginnings were there that that this is an episodic style of play that works really great for for grown-ups and it still does it's true to this day and i've met so many wonderful people because you know you're sharing these stories not just locally but worldwide these these stories are being shared um widely over the united states but also uh, adventures league play is popular in europe in russia in singapore um in the philippines in australia and new zealand if i forgot them they would come to my house and beat me up so i have to mention them. <laughs> um, like like you know uh these, these stories are, are played widely um in south america brazil brazil has quite a bit of adventures league play um and so we have this worldwide shared campaign story that, that we can use to talk to each other. And when we gather at events, um, like big conventions, the adventures league hall becomes a place where you can meet people and you automatically have something to talk about. Um, so, so there's a, there's a reason why the AL halls are so happening. Uh, and the reason why is because we're there sharing games and then when we're done we're there talking to each other and sharing hugs and saying what happened since the last time we saw each other. And, it's, it, it comes packed with its own community, and uh, it's a community that um, I can, I'm, I feel fairly proud to say that I've, I've heard some regional horror stories, but for the most part is, is a pretty accepting and, uh, and accommodating place. So, um, you know, uh, I, so I'm a huge fan of that style of play. It is not the only play I do. I also, like many listeners, or maybe most of your listeners, uh, do non-Adventurous League or just standard home home play, um, which also hits really nice. Uh, but it just hits differently, that's all.
1: No, I think that you bring up a couple of really good points. One that I, I guess I never really considered is the... The episodic nature leaves a lot of kind of similar to the way that you would talk about television or, you know, things like that, where if every week the next episode is coming out, then if you're super invested, you can find somebody that may be able to play a catch up game with you. Uh, Otherwise, if you're okay with some spoilers and you miss a week or two, just learning, hey, what happened in the last episode is enough to get you up to current. And I think that that is a really interesting way to play because like you said, that means that everybody's going to be on the same page and it makes it a lot easier to talk about. Whereas if I'm watching a specific game on Twitch, I have to find fans of that game that are already there and already involved and already part of that community. And some of those communities are bigger than others. Some of them are big enough to support that. Some of them may not be. And that's not to say that their content isn't just as good. It can just be harder to find that sense of community where something like an Adventurers League you've got everybody's at least got that thing in common. So it's, it's the easiest icebreaker to kind of get in and make conversations comfortable.
0: Yeah. Yep. It, you know, uh so your, your, your AL fans um, are, are similar. Yeah. To your community, your other community gaming community, such as critters. Mm-hmm. Who love to talk about what happened in the last episode. Now, granted, I got a short,
1: Puma but... soul shirt on right now. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> there, there,
0: there are, there are, there are many more critters than there, than there are AL players, but uh, but it's the same sort of thing, right? Um, it's the same sort of thing. Um, so I, I I continue to be a fan because it did help foster some amazing relationships with some great people. Um, and you know it 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 takes our activity and it it pulls it out of our homes and out of our basements and into the wider world. Um, you know uh, and you can you can you can just meet and interact and share stories um, with some of the, some of the great people that are, that are out there in community that you might not otherwise meet.
1: So you also mentioned that you did, uh, like public work for conventions in kind of the administrative role. Uh, yes. what does some of that look like?
0: Awesome. Okay. So, uh, I love, I enjoy and love doing administrative work at conventions. And, and so what that looks like is um let's say most most of my administrative work is done in the al hall not all of it but much of it and so if you were to walk into an adventurer's league hall you would see um a table that was someplace visible like it could be in the center on a on a on a, on a stage or or at the side elevated a little bit um and you would have human beings there and these human beings, their <laughs> jobs are just to help you find your game, make sure you're fi- uh, like, if you know your game, but you need to find its location or you want to join a game and you need help picking the right game or, um, you know, if you're having a problem and you, and you need it solved and your, your administrators are there and their job is just to help do that, to, to help you find your game, solve, solve your problems. And then a lot of times, Uh, the role just boils down to being your friend up there. You know, it's, it's, you know, somebody comes up and they want to talk. Then I talk and I listen and share stories and laughter. Um, It's a, it is a, it's a neat position. It's, it's hard hitting. Um, Sometimes it's really busy um, depending on what events are going on. Um, You know, when, uh, when Adventures League has one of their large multi-table epics or opens, and you've got thirty or forty people, or thirty or forty tables of people, at the exact same Ooh. time playing the exact same adventure. And Ooh. each table contributes to the success or failure conditions of the overall story. Um, that can keep you busy. Yeah, uh, and uh, talk
1: about a group check, you know, <laughs> like
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, there's there's often many of us running around, not only just doing the the managing of of you know, table reports and things like that, but pretending to be NPCs and going from table to table. Um uh there's there's plenty of pictures online of me dressed up as some NPC or another, <laughs> uh going from table to table and helping or harassing uh the players there as as uh, as the role warrants. Um but uh so so there's a lot of that there. Um and, and then sometimes the administrative role means leaving the convention hall, going back to a shared social area and, and just being there for people, talking to them and being a human being. Um, so, uh, there, there, there's really nothing about that, that I, uh, that I don't enjoy, um, you know, the, uh, even at the worst, the, the worst situations I've had to deal with, uh, some, of, some of the most difficult problems I've had to help people solve, I'm happy I was there. You know, um, when people when people go to a large event like that and they want to play D&D, obviously they want to share the game, but they're really there not necessarily for the game. The game is an excuse to build or maintain relationships and to have fun Um, and understanding that and helping to facilitate that. uh, It's powerful work. And uh, I love DMing and I love playing but for me both of those things take a backseat to to that sort of administrative work that that's where i i dive in and and enjoy what i do the most
1: i think that's probably the most literal sense of fostering community in a very direct way that that i could think of because it is you know very difficult i suffer from you know social anxiety and there's small group situations that i can deal with but conventions or big gatherings can be really difficult for me for a number of different reasons. And just knowing that there are kind of literal public advocates that somebody that can like, just focus here. Don't the crowd of voices can be out there Mm -hmm. and we can just chill and lock in for a second. And then if you're good, you're good. Okay. Table 18 over there. Like that, knowing that that type of support is there is a really kind of a, gives a, a very hopeful outlook for somebody like me that, that can struggle in situations like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I, I can uh, empathize. I, I also often struggle in large social situations. Um, the, you know, it, it always helps to have somebody that you know is there to um, to help you uh, to help you, you know, uh, enjoy the, the experience that you're there to find. It's also part of the reason why I've become increasingly noisy about, uh, about, uh, acceptance of diversity. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and increasingly noisy in our, in our gaming community about mental health, because being in that position there, I, I learned that. Our spaces, no matter how welcoming they might feel to somebody who looks like me. Right. You know, uh to look at me. I'm hey look, there's middle-aged white guy, you know. Um it hit it's it, it hits differently when you are not middle-aged white guy. And we still have miles to go to make spaces that are completely uh accepting. Um, you know, and and willing to put in that heavy lifting and and get out there and do some hard work along with some other great people in this community who are doing the same um i want people that step into that gaming hall to know oh look the healer dm is over there Uh, i know he won't deal with any bs like if somebody is going to give me a hard time uh you know for the color of my skin or my sexual or gender uh my sexual orientation or gender presentation Um, he's not going to tolerate that, you know, and, you know, and ultimately I want people to feel comfortable knowing that if I'm there, that's going to be there, but you know, that any administrator at those events are going to be that same kind of champion for them.
1: Right. Cause I mean, part of fostering community really is the community part and, and having a community that is welcoming of all types of people, uh, especially when there's I think a lot of the history and stigmas of, of gaming have shifted pretty rapidly over, especially the last 10 years or so, but even slowly and more so over the last about 20 or so I'm 36. So, uh, you know, being a nerd in the nineties was not a cool or you, you didn't even talk about it and much less uh, you know, God forbid you were a gender fluid nerd or just, you know, wondering about your sexuality or rep- your representation. Then, Uh, good luck, you know, it could be difficult, even if you find a community of nerds, then or so called, you know, to use that phrase, uh, that may still not be a comfortable enough space for you to fully express yourself as the totality of yourself. And I think that, you know, like you said, we've come a long way. I'm really happy for that. I do think there's still a long way to go, but it is good to see more of that and to know that there are people in our corner who are going to make sure that there's no gatekeeping, that there's no harassment and that these are actual fun and safe places to play in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like to, I like to, uh, uh, I like to, to joke that I'm a gatekeeper of sorts. I keep an eye on where the gate is so I can kick the biggest through it.
1: There you um, go. There you yeah. go.
0: <laughs> the it's, it's, you know, uh, one, one thing I was recorded saying that I, that I've kept and it's, it's been my header for years on my page is that I'm not. Ha- I won't be happy until gaming spaces reflect the beautiful diversity of our nation. Uh, when I can look out from that administrator seat and see a group of people that look like a, a wide swath of America, um, right. at that point, that's that's when I'm going to be happy. And we're not there yet. No.
1: If we're from above, yet. you can take a picture and get like a full sh- shadowed mosaic. Like yeah. like then you can. But if it's all just kind of seas of peach, then not really all right <laughs>
0: right right so you know we got a long way to go but it it is improving um and there's some great voices out there that are they're doing a lot of heavy lifting um to to make that happen um and i will i will lend whatever privilege i have to helping to see that happen too
1: well that's good that's awesome so so kind of moving from that and thank you for that work by the way that's that's a lot to take on and and I respect and appreciate that cuz I think it is something that more people should should kind of be aware of so I do want to make sure that I key in on that for a moment there. Um but I do want to ask cuz you there's there's a lot of things that you've brought up so I want to make sure we hit as many of them as we can here so uh, twenty plus works written for d and d what types of writing are you doing do you have are you like adventures classes items do you a little bit of everything what's your kind of go-to writing
0: so most of what I've written has been adventures um adventure writing um the uh it it it, it relates heavily back toward the the administrative thing where I I like to facilitate people having a good time. Um, And so writing a story lets me flex my creative muscles, but also helps me give tables, wherever they're at, DMs and and tables, uh, a shared experience. Um, And so most of my writing, most of my writing has been adventures, adventures, either standalone, one piece adventures, or um, or adventure arcs, um, and I've written, edited, uh, produced a number of them. Um, many of them are for Adventurers League. There are some upcoming works that are not. Um, I'm, I'm there are various stages of production, and I don't think I'm allowed to talk about them yet. But the um, but uh, a lot of them are fairy tales. So if you enjoy. Fairy tale stories. Um, the when Wizards of the Coast announced uh, their new their new source book coming up is a Feywild themed adventure story. they're like Connor, because mm-hmm. you know, I know I love fairy tales. What do you think about this? I'm like, well, it's gonna suck. Because like, well, <laughs> they didn't ask me to help.
1: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so,
0: uh, it's it's uh it's uh most of my stories are um have have a lot of uh, Fey influence to them. Um, but I also try to, um, keeping in the tradition of of one of my favorite fandom Star Trek, uh, tell stories that are poignant socially, uh, even if they're veiled behind uh, behind other imagery. Um, so you can find uh, uh, stories uh, that are explicitly anti-racist. You can uh, one story I wrote very heavily was explicitly anti-racist. Uh, you can find stories about about why violence is terrible? Why war is terrible? Which is not a common D and D story.
1: No, um, and a bunch yeah. of murder hobos running around.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, I wrote uh, I wrote that for Adventurers League. Actually, it was the um, the last thing I published was a a story that actually unglorifies war. Um, the, uh, there I wrote a story about uh, about you know the impact of dementia and Alzheimer's. Um, That's huge. You know, like so, I, I I I try to write stories that have meaning um, beyond just the fairy tale stories, which I love my fairy tales. Don't get me wrong, but I also want the stories out there to get people to think about the wider world that they're in um, and their place in it, and maybe help build uh, understanding and maybe a little empathy uh, for people that are going through something or are not quite.
1: Well, and I think it's, I think D&D in a lot of ways can exist, not that it always is or that it always even should be, but I think in a lot of ways it can exist as kind of an exposure therapy and trying on, you know, as much as we talk about people trying out new characters and maybe being, playing a confident character if you're shy to try out what that feels like. I think that it also can help expose us to some of those harder topics that, um, you know, You may not currently be living with somebody with like a dementia or Alzheimer's, so you don't have a lot of opportunities to see and experience that and temper your understanding. And so getting to to play a role in that may help so that when you do actually come into contact with somebody there, you have a little bit better understanding, you're a little bit more socially aware and practiced at handling that situation than you may otherwise have been. So that's really cool work.
0: Yeah, it is. Um, it is. I'm happy that I've been given opportunities to do it. Uh, I've, I've worked with others to help produce um, uh, these adventures and uh, some very talented people. Ginny um, Loveday, um, Travis Whittle, um, uh, Noah Grand, uh, uh, Sean Banerjee, um, Ian Gould. So just just some amazing folks. Um, who, who've helped, uh, who've helped flesh out some of these ideas in ways that are meaningful for people. Um, so I, I have to, uh, I have to shower them with the praise uh, that they deserve. Uh, because if it weren't for them, these sorts of these sorts of stories wouldn't exist.
1: No, that's, uh, it, it's always good to to share the credit, because a lot of times it's, never one person doing all of it there's it's again it kind of just always circles back to community there's so many talented people working in so many different avenues to make anything happen um that yeah so appreciate and respect to those so um i will i think we'll touch um yeah let's go to the so the founder of d8 summit um Mm -hmm. so you said that you do some charity work and to raise money for local causes um, but with a name like D8 Summit, uh, I have to I, I, the, 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 the belie is that there's a little bit of a relation here to you. So what kind of charity work are you doing and what kind of charities and causes uh, do you seek to support locally?
0: Okay well um, so D8 Summit is a bad pun. Uh, <laughs> It, it, it started as a bad pun and it the name has continued as a bad pun. Uh the <laughs> summit being a playoff of the G8 Summit, you know, yes. the, the <laughs> meeting, the meeting of influential economic minds on the planet. Um and so we we don't have influential economic minds. What we do have though are a bunch of gamers who enjoy sharing games and are passionate about different causes. Um and so what we what we do as an organization. Is um, we run events, but we also help other events. If another event reaches out and says, "Hey, D8 Summit, could you come and and help us run a um, uh, a charity uh, arm for our upcoming event?" So we can just focus on the event, and you just come in and help us raise money. And we'd like to raise money for a good humane society in our area. Then we'll help them identify a humane society. Uh, we'll contact the that humane society. Uh, and then we'll show up and do what we can to help fundraise, you know, um, whatever is, uh, uh, you know, is is it, is it raffles or auctions? Is it, um, you know, 50-50 drawings or or reroll tickets or whatever it is? Um, and then we lend that 501c3 fundraising arm uh, power behind it so that then those deductions are, you know, they're tax deductible under the full weight of American law, but then get that money uh, to a good local organization. Most of, um, like when when we look at it in our communities about, uh, look at who is doing the most good with the least, often it's our local charities. They don't have the name recognition or the branding behind them that some of the very large national charities have, Um, but they do an awful lot of work with often not much resources. Um, we have raised uh, money for homeless shelters, food banks. Um, we just did a fundraiser where we raised money to provide internet to inner city youth. Like, you know, these, these are causes that, that need help. They need the support. And they're often doing it on incredibly cash-strapped, uh, you know, uh, pockets. So, um, you know, I, I highly encourage people in our community, who are interested in giving back, to look at some of these local causes in their own neighborhoods uh, that are that are doing some good and and trying to um, to uh, to if they have money to donate or time to donate, trying to donate those things uh, to those organizations.
1: Yeah, I think that's. I mean, I'm a huge advocate, especially of local like food charities. I think that the local food scarcity is a problem that really needs to be addressed. And unfortunately, we are kind of the ones that have to address it in in our own local communities. But I think you also spoke to something that I don't think as many people really realize is an option is that you don't have to go file for your own 501c to help get a, a charity drive of some sort up and running that that you can partner with somebody that's already got that established those established records and say, hey, can you support and maybe kind of sponsor this event and we'll do all of the stuff that we want to do to make the event happen and do it maybe kind of under or for your umbrella that that's a really good way to get out there and get involved. And maybe kind of if you haven't held a charity before, kind of help hold your first one, have somebody that can advocate for you and help you through the steps of the process Mm -hmm. without having to go through, I know a 501c is a ridiculous amount of paperwork and, and justifications that you have to go through so much yep. more so than like a small business license.
0: Both to start and maintain. Yeah. It's yeah. A, it, you know, it's, it's a lot of work. Uh, we have some, uh, some great folks uh, with our, with our group that helps keep it going. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it can be, it can be a lot of work, but just knowing, you know, that you can work with somebody who will handle it, but yeah, they can show you how to do it too. Um, ultimately, ultimately our goal is to do the most good in our local communities as possible and so part of that would uh would be that we would show up and do it part of it is showing you how to do it too um so that if you decided you know you want to do this again you can absolutely partner with us again or you can you can do your own event however however you wish um but uh but targeting local charities is is where our organization's heart is um uh you know organizations where you know that the dollars that you're giving are going immediately to people who need them rather than paying large salaries, compensation packages, property values, marketing budgets, um, you know, that, that, you know, uh, that these dollars are going directly to people who need them.
1: Yep. 100% agreed. It's a uh, local charities. It's same thing with like any sort of small business or local art is that it, uh, You'd be surprised how much more good the same dollar does uh, for somebody that is really on the cusp of maybe giving up on their passion or, you know, having a difficult time in your local area Um, that 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 money does a lot more good there than it does. You know, that's not to say don't support causes around the world. Uh, I'm a fan of any amount of charity work that you can do or that yeah. you feel empowered or impassioned to do, Absolutely. Um, but be aware that locally it may go a little bit farther in helping you see a direct return on that because it's improving your local area as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So from that, we'd be a little bit remiss to kind of speak on food drives, uh, with this being Dungeons and Dinners. Uh we've gotta, gotta bring in some food related topics here. So what is your relationship with food? Are you uh are you a cook? Are you just a foodie? Uh how do you how do you see it in your life?
0: Uh okay. So um one of my passions is food. <laughs> so I, I, I'm not going to lie. And and in any capacity, I enjoy cooking. Uh, anybody that's seen me knows I also enjoy eating. Um, <laughs> and, and if I can get out and sample new cuisine, um, I've always believed that one of the best ways to understand another person is to sit down and eat with them. And Ooh, uh, this and is a,
1: this is true.
0: So you want if you would like to understand a culture, sit and eat with people, share their food, and talk to them. Um, it, it's There's a certain degree of intimacy there that, that's opened up uh, that's powerful. Um, it's why um, in my work, as much as possible, I eat with my clients. So let's sit and we'll have food between us and let's eat. Uh, COVID sort of put a little bit of a damper on that, um, but... Uh, so i haven't had as many lunches um as i i made it a point to have in the past but it is something that uh that can be powerful um so oh wow so so many unique and wonderful dining experiences um open up when you're when you're willing to eat just about anything and you and you want to to learn um so hit me with it because yeah. there there are wow okay so Hit me with questions.
1: Let's do this. <laughs> so oh. I would do have to say I think that right out the gate, uh, eating with somebody is a great way to break down some of those social barriers. People tend to be a lot less guarded um, when they're when they're munching on something than they would be on like a Zoom call or something. So having a, a if you want to have a candid, close conversation with somebody, getting you know, something more than a coffee, like getting some some snacks, some appetizers, getting a full meal in there can really help kind of break down some of that tension a little bit faster than like not saying you can't get there without it, but it's a lot easier when when you've got some of that social lubricant in there.
0: It is. Yeah. I, I do the same thing with games. If mm-hmm. I can set a game between myself and, and, a, and a client and then we play the game while we talk. Yeah. Um, you, 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 it's really hard to maintain, like you're saying those, those defense mechanisms, those Mm -hmm. walls that we set up around ourselves, you can't really maintain them when you've got the shared activity that's also demanding part of your, your mental faculties or your awareness. Um, and so food is a, is a great example of that because you're oh, this tastes good. Oh, you know, I, I don't have quite enough on my plate or, or, you know, all the things that we think about when we're eating. Um, that that is taking away from those mechanisms that we put up to guard ourselves. And then you're just more open. You're willing to be a little bit more vulnerable.
1: Yep. So, um, I guess we'll, let's start with, uh, with kind of on, on the topic of going out and, and enjoying a meal at a restaurant. You said that you've got pretty varied tastes and that you like to sample new flavors. Um, so is there a particular, Uh, kind of style or maybe a local area or place that you find yourself kind of more consistently gravitated to than not, or are you looking for something new and adventurous kind of every time you go out?
0: Um, So I am, I am pleased to try um, to try new things whenever the opportunity arises. Um, I live in a community where there aren't a lot of new dining options. There are some great dining options, but you know, it's a it's a it's a small town um, uh, where I live. There, there's all of oh boy, um, nine thousand people. Uh, so we don't have a a huge. We've got a pretty good sized restaurant scene for our size. But when I travel, I'm going to be trying as many new and varied dining experiences as I can. Um, I just got back from a two week sabbatical. More, um, I got to tour um, uh, nine states, um, and wow. and so uh, we were, we were talking about that a little bit, Brett, before we started recording, because mm-hmm. uh, it took me to Arkansas. Um, but I got to eat some amazing food in some very unusual places, um, a Cuban restaurant in nice. the middle of nowhere. Um, I, I I remember uh, um, my my friends were uh, my friends said. Oh yeah, this is going to be terrible. I'm like, no, no, this is going to be amazing. Mm -hmm. Like, why why is it going to be, you know, they're like, well, you know, why? why? I said, well, I said, Cuban, I I said, we're kind of in Northern Georgia, Southeastern Tennessee. I said, Cuban food isn't, it isn't popular enough in this region of the country to just have some random, uh, uh, you know,
1: like pop-up restaurant.
0: Yeah. Uh, just, just create this restaurant. Like I'm willing to wager that in the back in that kitchen is somebody from Cuba.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's not enough culture to support that, to just be a thing that that person is doing it because that's what they're passionate about and that's what they know. So it's probably going to be really good.
0: Oh my goodness. The, the, the Cubanos were amazing. Some of the, some of the, some of the best sandwiches I have ever had. uh, we got from this place. Uh, She also made rum cakes.
1: Which oh, glorious!
0: Delightful. Yes. yes. Um, uh, serving sized, which is good because if I had to buy a whole rum cake and it tasted that good,
1: <laughs> you know,
0: I would, I would be in a, I'd be in a bad situation. Um, St. Louis, my, uh, my friends took us to one of the neatest little restaurants, and I'm, I'm, tr- I'm trying so hard to find the name of it um, because they served uh, Mediterranean fare, uh, particularly mm. Middle Eastern fare. Uh, and they had a punk rock atmosphere, Oh which, wow! which was completely like, and, and so I really want to give them a shout out because it was that good. And I, and I'm sitting here like typing through Google, trying to find it. Um, if, if you know what the name of the restaurant is and you're listening, if you're a St. Louis foodie, please put that in, in the chat. So other people
1: <laughs> throw can us, throw it. it to us on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. yeah give them a shout out.
0: It was that good. Oh man. And, um, and we were, we were there just to have a good time, and I had some uh, amazing um, tabbouleh, um, which, I mean, it's, it's, it's a simple dish with amazing flavor. Um, if, if you've never tried it out there and you're listening, um, you can do a lot with parsley that doesn't involve garnishing. Um, yes. You can actually eat it, and it tastes good. Um, yeah, it
1: can actually have flavor. You have to use a fair amount of it, but <laughs>
0: you have to use a fair amount of parsley. But it's but it it is a delicious green. Um, so uh, I had that, and I I had um, a a a really good uh, shawarma. Uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, I mean, so wow, so eat around. Um, <laughs> if uh, if you see me, like uh, my next convention experience will be at um, uh, at game Okay. uh in madison wisconsin if y'all see me at game hole in madison wisconsin let's figure out a place to eat because that town because of its university status despite being in the middle of wisconsin um you know because wisconsin right i uh, said uh <laughs> uh it, it draws a very diverse uh group of, uh a group of citizens from around the world and some of the best asian food i've ever had and I've toured all over looking for great Asian food. Some of the best Asian food I ever had was in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, and so uh, I will routinely find a new restaurant and go and get it and bring it back to the con. If people are unwilling to leave the con because of games or whatever. Um, but, yeah, let, you know, let's let's find some good food and let's go do this. Let's learn about uh, let's learn about our world one dish at a time.
1: Yeah, we actually just recently, I haven't had a chance to go there yet. My neighbor has, he's a, he's a big chef. And we just had a really actually authentic Chinese place open up. And a lot of places want to say they're kind of authentic. And and he said he, he went and he's like, first, no, the, the hostess was translating for me to tell the cook how amazing things were. And second, (laughs) when I say authentic, I mean, authentic, it was straight up like, the actual kind of like Sichuan style cooking. And I was like, that's I, I really, and it's a tiny little itty bitty brick rectangle hut kind of thing. And I'm like, yep, those are the places you want to hit. Like you want yeah. to hit the dives and the little hole in the walls and things. So I'm a hundred percent for that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That, that, that sounds amazing. Now I want to go to Springfield. Um, <laughs> guess,
1: yeah, right. Springfield's good because we are also kind of a multi-college town and, uh, and a lot of places, it, I think per capita, we have the highest amount of restaurants to people because a lot of, at least when I was working in the industry, this is true. A lot of places say that if you can survive for two years in Springfield, you can go to the coasts. So a lot of places will come here to test like a, a testing bed for restaurants. And we have a lot of places that'll pop up for a couple of years and then just be gone. And they're great places. I'm like, why did they leave? And they're like, Oh, cause they rebranded and started a chain in either California or New York or Florida. And so, and they'll come back here like a decade later, you'll see one finally pop up. But
0: <laughs> Yeah. I, I, um, I, I, I have a uh, plenty of, of, of history with the folks uh, at Southwest Missouri state through my own education. Um, just amazing, an amazing, friendly crowd from an amazingly friendly town. So um, we try, <laughs> so no, that, that, that's really cool. And now I'm thinking I need to go back to, uh, I go, I need to go back to Missouri and spend more time there.
1: Yeah. If you so, ever are around, hit me up and, and we'll, we'll, we'll go try some authentic Chinese food. <laughs>
0: I'm all, I'm all over it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to knock in any way, um. Uh, American variety Chinese food. Right, right. There's a, there's a really great documentary about it. Actually, uh, it's about the history of of General Tso's chicken.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, I'm trying to
0: remember the name of the documentary. I sat and watched it. It was fascinating. But it, but it actually, um, as a documentary, goes back and talks about the history of Chinese food in America um, and the role that um, Americanized Chinese food uh, had in um, and helping to build and maintain a, uh, a Chinese culture in the United States, I I found it absolutely fascinating, um, to sit and watch. And so now you're going to have the second time where I can't remember the name of something. Um,
1: <laughs> no worries. Hey, that's what show notes are for. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Pretty sure I saw it on Netflix though. Um, so yes, but uh, no, I
1: think that I mean it's like I like authentic Mexican food, right? Like I love authentic Mexican, like a beans and a mole, and just like an authentic mole is to die for. Yeah. But I also really like Tex-Mex. Like I like thick, rich, salty nacho sauces. Like right. I like, you know, overly seasoned ground beef. That's not chorizo. Like just, so I, exactly. I think there's room for both places. Like there are times where I want authentic and there are times where I want a kind of Americanized, like, sometimes you want to deep fry a hot dog. I don't know, you know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, but, but all of it, all of it, that's just, that's just good food. Um, and so, yeah, uh, if you, if you see me in person, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a public person. You can hit me up at a convention and be like, Hey, how about that food thing? And if I can make it happen, I'll make it happen. Um, that cause, because it is, uh, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's powerful. It's powerful mm-hmm. to show people. Um, and I love that you, that you tie uh, the food back in, back into the gaming. I, can you think of, uh, of, of a powerful gaming experience that you had in your life that didn't in some way include food?
1: Um,
0: cause I, I really, struggle. I don't, I,
1: I, that would, that is kind of a strong, I mean, cause Especially with a chef background, every game night is a night to to either flex being able to make and bring a snack to somebody else's house. That's going to stand up to transportation, not need reheated or things like that. Or if it is at my house, well, then then the gloves are off, you know, Um, but I and even like even video games. They're so like I a lot of my memories I can tie to specific tastes like, like I'm, you know, if if I get like black raspberry is tied to Rocket League, uh, because so anytime that I like smell or have a black raspberry snack, I'm like, mmm, tastes like gold league and losing games, like, because <laughs> <laughs> well, like- that's that's what I was snacking on in that time in my life. So like that's just how I that's how my memories kind of form.
0: Well, and but uh when tie back, uh, I told you I'm a neuroscience nerd, so. Um- when you're talking about building memories, the most powerful sense that uh, that human beings have in building our own memories is smell and taste, which are, in essence, the same. They are the yep. same sense. Um, and so uh, when you're talking about just like building memories, uh, a flavor ties a memory in, into, into your long-term memory quicker than a sight or a sound. And yep. And that's why I'm just like, I cannot think. I cannot think of a powerful gaming experience I ever had where food was also not part of it. And I can almost always name that food. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can remember my formative years of gaming were in high school, I would stay over at my friend's house um, and we would play um, AD and D second edition. Um, so I'm, I'm dating myself a little. Uh,
1: and then
0: we would all, always- okay,
1: nobody likes that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: hey, my table says, no, uh, I, I, but, but I can tell you, we had uh, little Caesars pizza mm-hmm. bottomless little Caesars pizza because you get yep. order so much for so little. Yep. And so my friend Devin's parents would go and they would bring back like these ridiculously large, horribly cheap pizzas, <laughs> which I will forever associate with gaming. And yep. when I, when I think of little Caesars, I automatically think of good times and good memory. Right. And, um, and so even though it's Little Caesars, which I mean, you know, you can like it if you want. Um, it's,
1: There's it's- a place I, I would put it in more like a comfort food. Like yeah. it's like I'm not going to want Little Caesars all the time. But every now and again, when, it, when the weather's for me, if it's like dusky and kind of stormy or just super overcast and a little gloomy, like that's when I want Little Caesars and to like not get in a pool, but like sit by a pool. And just have that kind of summer vibe where it's like a little bit gloomy and I may not really get to enjoy myself, but that that really cheap plasticky cheese does something for the soul that makes things better, you know? <laughs> and, oh,
0: and, and I was born and raised in, in Chicagoland and uh, I would have friends from my youth who right now are wanting to punch me in the back of the head <laughs> yeah. for, even uh, for even mentioning it, except for those of us who were there Mm-hmm. Playing games all night and listening to Alanis Morissette and mm-hmm. eating little Caesars pizza. Um, For us,
1: it's Dollar Store, Dr. I think it was Dr. Thunder, maybe. Dr. Thunder. <laughs> and, and there was one, there was another one I don't remember the name of anymore, but I remember it got to the point where we all agreed that every can tasted different. Like it was so cheaply made that the flavor profile for each individual can in a 12 pack was a complete, like we were like trade them. They all had the same label, but they all tasted different.
0: <laughs> so. You know, yeah. So yeah, I'm with you. I, I can't, I can't separate the, I can't separate the two. I can't separate food and, um and gaming. They just go together Um and uh being able as, as people are getting vaccinate, vaccinated and and opportunities to see each other face to face as those begin to open back up. Um, I'm looking forward to making new memories with food and gaming, uh, with people that I care about, both people I've known or or new friends.
1: Amen to that. So there's a few more things that I want to ask you, but I think some of that, including uh, your own personal culinary history, are going to have to wait for the patreon episode so before we get to that point is there anything that you would like to discuss any shout outs that you would like to give to those of us that are here uh listening to you on the uh on the the airwaves now
0: well um i want to give a shout out to uh people that are listening i want to thank you again um hearing um who very likely is a stranger? Babylon about food and uh, neuroscience. Um, you know that uh, I, that you're willing to listen means a lot to me. So thank you. Um, I'd like to give a shout out um, to my friends out there. Um, some of whom I've I've been able to see as things reopen. Some of whom I haven't been able to see yet. Um, I really look forward to a time where I can see you and give you a big hug and ask you how things are going. Um, and I want to let you know I miss you. Um, I want to give a shout out um, to all the folks out there that are doing the heavy lifting to make our our gaming spaces inclusive. Um, I, we see you. We 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 know who you are, and we we appreciate what you're doing. Um, I want to give a shout out to my friends in Adventurers League and my friends on the convention scene. Um, I, I can't wait to get back in the trenches with you. Um, I want to give a shout out to. Uh, to all the people um, that I meet every day, um, uh, such as yourself, Brett, who are out there doing good and positive things in our community, um, you know, this is this as as a hobby. It can be a space where we can elevate, where we can lift up everybody, um, and and so taking the time to do that, um, it's it's it speaks wonders about uh, about you and and uh, and the type of people that get involved in our space. There's been a lot of controversy lately, very, very lately about um, about spaces and about how spaces used to be and about how spaces are now. Um, I don't ever wanna go back to the space that I was in as a youth where I was afraid to, um, where I was afraid to be who I was at a gaming table uh, for fear that they would, you know, end up beating up a queer youth um, who, at that time was much skinnier and smaller. Um, right. But uh, uh, you know, I don't want to go back to that. Um, that no. you know those spaces were not always inclusive. Um, we' we've We've come a long way, um, and I feel safe at it, so many more places. Um, but we've got a long way to go. Like you can look out, you can look out from the admin table. Um, if you see me, ask me and you can stand up with me and you can, you can stand up and, and twirl around the room. We've, we've got a lot, we've got a lot of space to go. Um, but, uh, but we're getting there. We just have to turn our back on the past and say, you know what? It was good back then, but that's, you know, we need to open up this experience for everybody, not just for the people back then, but for everybody out there. If, if we really have a good thing, we don't want to hog that to ourselves. Right. We can't We can't keep people out. So, Thank you. If if you uh, if you're out there doing that doing that heavy lifting, it is seen and it's appreciated by more people than you realize.
1: Agreed. And uh, on that note, there'll be some links in the description to your Twitter. And uh, is there any other places online that people can find you?
0: Well, um, so Twitter is is the easiest place. Um, and my uh, Twitter, uh, the link at the healer DM. Uh, i also have a webpage where you can go um, and uh not only uh look at the works that i've helped create uh but links to purchase them um so uh, uh that is uh with two r's.com. uh you can feel free to take a look there there's also a link on that page if you decide that you want to hire me as a professional dm um I, I spend a lot of my time running games for folks and uh, and I would love to to share uh, a table with you and and run a game for you if that's something that you're interested in.
1: Beautiful, yeah. We'll have that down in the show notes as well. Uh, Connor, thank you so much for your time and all of the work that you've been helping putting in 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 both the Adventures League and in the mental health sphere and diversity spheres. Uh, Your work is appreciated and seen and recognized as well. So thank you for all of that and sharing your time with me and with the listeners. Um, With that, we'll have uh, another bonus episode for those of you that do sign up through Patreon. And uh, we'll get to talk a little bit with Connor, a little bit more with Connor over there. So thank you so much. Thank you. So that's all for the episode today. Thank you all so much for listening. All of the links and contact information discussed can be found down in the show notes, and I'm most active on Twitter at A-N-D-D-I-N-N-E-R-S. That's and dinners. If you're interested in supporting the show and getting access to exclusive bonus episodes like the one I just recorded with Connor, if you want additional Discord content, or you just want to help support the podcast and help keep things ad-free, consider tossing a few coins over to patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners. If you're looking for more great podcasts to listen to, check out my other broadcast, Pick Up Your Sticks. It's a long-form podcast about why video gaming matters, co-hosted by myself and my dear friend, Walker Near. I'm really excited to be sharing this journey with all of you, and remember that love is the secret ingredient. Have a good day, friend. Thanks for stopping by.